We're in the middle of a series here. It's week three of the why behind the what. And basically uh, what we're talking about is what are the God reasons for the things that we're expected to do. I believe that we are to endeavor to grab hold of abundant life in Christ now and everlasting life in Christ for forever. This week, we're going to have all kinds of fun. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about tithes and offerings and cash money. This is a touchy subject. You remember Adam and Eve, the first people? They had two boys that were Cain and Abel. Now, they brought offerings to God. Cain's offering was not so great. Abel's was good. God accepted Abel's offering, did not accept Cain's offering. Cain got mad and killed Abel. The first murder in the first family on the planet was based on offerings to God. Do you remember Judas? So there's the 12. One of them had a serious problem in that he betrayed Jesus. Do you know why? Do you know the thing that tipped the scale for Judas? was when the expensive perfume was poured on Jesus, and he's like, this is a waste. And he was so angry, he went to the authorities and turned Jesus in over an offering that someone gave to Jesus. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira. They brought a huge offering in. It wasn't what they said it was. They lied about it. And in in the early New Testament church, people dropped dead in the service Because of how they handled offerings. So the moral of the story here is this has been a problem, not just in our culture, not just recently. This has been something since Adam and Eve. So we're going to look into this. We're going to try to grab hold of it and find the good God thing. Do you believe there's a good God thing with giving? There's a good God thing there. So let's find it. Since we're talking about why, why do you think it is? That this has caused so many problems for so long. Why has money in its relationship with church caused so much problems for so long? You know, I'm just kind of guessing here, but it seems to me that a lot of people have a, an unhealthy emotional relationship with money. That their connection with money has insecurity and pride and greed and all these emotional problems connected with it. People have identity issues because of what they have or what they don't have. And this can skew our understanding. And people can get very upset because of this emotional relationship with money that's unhealthy. So we want to try to overcome that and be able to live a godly uh, financial life. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look into this. Matthew 6, starting verse 19, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to the masses, and this is a piece of what he has to say. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is saying the things of this world are temporary. Is it okay to have food to eat? Yeah, a car to drive. Sure, a house to live in. Absolutely. Can you bring those things with you to heaven? No. Verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. There is a place where there's eternity and where we can have an inheritance. We can store up things that will last forever. So you can't bring your truck to heaven. You can't bring your house to heaven. You can't bring your shoe collection to heaven. It's fine to have a shoe collection. You can't bring it with you. 
Did you know there's something you can bring to heaven? You can bring a friend to heaven. You can tell someone about Jesus, help them give their life to Christ, receive forgiveness, become a child of God, and receive an eternal inheritance. You can bring people to heaven, but you can't bring things. Store up treasures in heaven. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying, if you're spending all your time trying to get stuff, then that shows what you really care about. If you're spending your time about the things of God, that shows what you really care about. What you physically are willing to do shows what you care about. And that's what Jesus is saying here, is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you say you love Jesus, but you never pray, you don't read your Bible, you don't go to church, you don't spend any time with the Lord, but you say you love him, maybe that's a belief in some sense, but having a relationship with Jesus is not a value. It's not where your heart is. And so our behavior shows our values. And that's what Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to see where your heart is, look and see what you're motivated to do and to have in this life. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. If you think the temporary things are the most important things and that the eternal things aren't worth dealing with, then there's a darkness of vision, not seeing what's truly important. And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can you serve both God and money? No, so let's just quit trying because it's not going to work out. It's going to be a futile exercise. So we can't serve two masters. Now, here's how it should be. Serve God and have money serve you. Money makes a horrible master, but a good servant. We built a building addition on the church, kids areas, fellowship hall, kitchen, offices. It took money. It's a good servant. Neat things can happen with money. If money's a master, though, money will never love you. It doesn't care about you. It won't sustain you. Love God. Serve God. Use money. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus says something here. It's recorded here. This is in one form or another in the Gospels six times. There are four Gospels, and this is in the Gospels six times. That means that it's in all four of them, and it's in two of them twice. The Gospels are the the stories of the life and teachings of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This teaching is in there six times. He must have said this a lot. It's the most consistently recorded teaching of Jesus in the Scriptures. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. When we release things to God, we give them up for the sake of serving Christ, that's when we can truly have the thing that we were seeking after in the first place, if it's God's will. I've seen this happen in my life over and over again. As I scramble for and try to get something and I, I, I'm doing it all on my own strength and it, it just doesn't work and so I give up and give the situation over to the Lord, then all of a sudden... 
He just puts it right there. I've seen that happen over and over again. But we have to release. We have to give it up. We have to just say, Lord, you are enough for me. I'm going to serve you. Whatever your will is, that's what I want. And then sometimes the things that we're trying to get after are just not things of God. And that's, we're not going to care anymore. It's going to fade away into the distance. Sometimes it is something that God wants to give us, but it has to be underneath our relationship with God, underneath our service to God. And so then he can add it to us. I think this is true in many, many, many circumstances, but it's certainly true with our financial life, that when we release and submit our financial life to God, that's when we can walk into a truly godly relationship with money. Now, when you give your life to Christ, your life gets better. This happens in all the different facets of your life. It happens, for example, in your relationship life. When you give your relationships to Christ, then you learn how to forgive and not be bitter, not hold grudges, but you learn to forgive because that's how God wants us to relate to people. You learn to love people instead of use people. You learn to love people instead of ignore people. You learn to forgive. You learn to love. You learn to put other people first because that's part of submitting your relationship life to Christ. So as you forgive and honor people and you love people, you put other people first, your relationships get better. It's not necessarily easier because working through the process of being able to forgive in your heart can sometimes take years. It can be a tremendous battle because of the difficulties we go through. Learning how to care about other people and love other people, it can be a big challenge because, of course, we're more interested in ourselves. But once we're able to get through that and grow in those ways, then our our relationship life gets better. And it's the same thing when we submit our financial life to Christ. When we submit our financial life to Christ, we may have to live more disciplined. We may have to do things that sometimes are harder, deny ourselves in certain ways, but our financial life will get better. It's very important. If you believe God is good and that when you follow the ways of God, that it's better for you than if you reject the ways of God, then that will help you have faith and trust God and go his ways. It is a lie that following God is worse than walking with the devil. God's ways are better. Selfishly, they're better. It's just better in every way. The ways of God. Now, as far as submitting our financial life to Christ, there are two things that just are huge and they're just natural, simple things that will help you out. Has anybody ever bought something you shouldn't have bought? Spent money you shouldn't have spent? When you submit your financial life to Christ, that means that you order your spending in a way that honors God. You pray before you buy something. Should I buy this? Over your lifetime, how much money do you think you could have saved if you had never bought anything you shouldn't buy? So are you going to come out behind when you submit your financial life to Christ? For some people, you're going to come out way ahead. (laughs) Way ahead. And then the second thing is... I've been able just to experience in my own life in submitting my financial life to Christ that then I'm able to see opportunities better. Instead of focusing on the thing I really want, I'm able to see financial opportunities and be able to just like, okay, well, you know what? I should study and and get this certification so I can get this job and then things will be better. You just can see how that works and it, it brings some clarity. So as far as 
breaking covetousness and not having to buy things you shouldn't buy and then seeing financial opportunity. Those are things that can happen as we submit our financial life to Christ. We're going to talk about giving, but it's your whole financial life. It's not just about putting the right amount in the offering plate. It's about living the right financial life under God. So let's talk about some reasons people might give, but they aren't God reasons. First one is guilt and pressure. Guilt and pressure is not a good reason to give. If I just, oh, you got Jesus is really short of money today. You better put some extra in because, oh my goodness, it's all going to fall apart. You know, God is not short of cash. So it isn't, God's plan isn't going to happen unless you give five times more than what you feel like you should give. That's just guilt and pressure. The things on the end of that road are bad things. We walk by faith. The things on the end of a road walked by faith are good things. We don't want to be stuck in guilt and pressure. We don't want to develop a poverty mentality. Second bad reason is to try to get God to bail us out or to feed our greed, to try to manipulate God into giving us stuff. That's a bad reason to give. Now, um, here's the deal. If you tithe and spend foolishly, you will have financial problems doesn't matter if you tithe. If you spend all the money that you're supposed to be keeping to pay your house payment, you're going to run into trouble with your mortgage. So we can't give in order to have God bail us out as we don't submit our financial life to Christ, but we're just trying to tithe so that we don't have to submit our financial life to Christ and we can live an undisciplined financial life and then have God somehow miraculously bail us out. Let's read 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. Here the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's um, ministering to people. And Paul is trying to help him to deal with these people so the church doesn't go off the rails. And here's some of the stuff he has to say to him. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and a godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. So Paul wasn't really going to hold back on this one. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So there are these people that are causing all kinds of problems in the church, and one of the things that they've gotten confused is they think godliness is a means to financial gain. Is godliness a means to financial gain? Does God take care of his people? Let me tell you what's going on here. These are people that are serving money and they're trying to get God to help them because they love money more than God. And the only reason they care about God is because they think God can help them get more money. Now, how would they get under the impression that godliness is a means to financial gain? I don't know, maybe it was the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous production of provision for thousands of people. Maybe it was the feeding of the 4,000. Maybe it was the miraculous catch of fish that brought Peter in. Maybe it was the miraculous catch of fish that reinstated Peter. Maybe it was the coin in the fish's mouth. Maybe it was that the New Testament church in the book of Acts had so many people giving so much that there wasn't a poor person among them because if anybody had any need, they were able to take care of all of it. Maybe that's how they got under that impression. But you still can't put money over God. You still can't go to God because you want money. You don't really care about God, but you think, oh, maybe he'll help me get this stuff. We must serve God alone. One master. You can have money, but serve God and serve him alone.
Another bad reason to give is to try to manipulate church leadership. It's a bad reason to give. Money shouldn't be used to leverage and to push people around. That's not a good thing in the kingdom of God. So let's look at some good God things. What are the right reasons to give? Right reason number one, God reason number one, is to honor God as your provider. We give to honor God. In the Old Testament, it was part of their culture. When you wanted to honor someone, like, you know, these things are starting to fade in our culture, but it used to be you'd stand up when someone came in the room, you remove your hat, you show honor in various different ways. One of the ways that they showed honor was to give a tenth. If somebody you thought was, was really beneficial to you in order to honor that person, you might give them a tenth of what you have, a tenth of what you gained over what they gave you some instruction on, that sort of a thing. Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And here we're going to read in Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob, who will be renamed Israel, he's got the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. He's just been kicked out of his house. He fled because his brother wants to kill him because he's been pulling junk. And so he leaves the house. He's got nothing. He is sleeping on the ground with a rock for a pillow. He's got absolutely nothing. He's fleeing for his life. And he has a vision from God in the middle of the night. And God tells him all the wonderful things he's going to do for him. The promised land, all the descendants, all these incredible things that God has planned for Jacob. And Jacob wakes up and this is his reaction. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob is honoring God by saying, if you do all these promises you're telling me, I want to honor you by giving you a tenth. He's not saying of the things that I make all by myself without your help, I'll give you a tenth of that. He's saying of the things that you give me as I go through this life, I will return to you a tenth. It's a way of honoring God as our provider and acknowledging that God is the one that brings the increase, that God is our provider, is to give a tenth to honor God. Second, God, why? Forgiving is to live a submitted and blessed financial life. So we honor God in our giving, and then we want to live a submitted financial life, submitted to God, and a blessed financial life. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is talking about an offering that's being taken. As the Apostle Paul traveled from church to church, they would receive an offering because there was a a shortage of food in Jerusalem and they were collecting money to be able to help the church in Jerusalem. And so he was telling them ahead of time, we're going to be taking this offering, so make sure that you're ready for it. And this is a piece of Paul's discussion with the church in Corinth. Chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when it comes to giving offerings, how do we find out what we should give? Give what you've decided in your heart to give. If it's sponsor a farmer and you in your heart are like, nope, that's not me, then don't do that. If in your heart you're like, wow, yeah, I need to do that, then do that. Give what you've decided in your heart to give, not 
out of guilt and pressure, but in faith, a cheerful giver, knowing that if we submit our financial life to Christ, that then our financial life will get better. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So I looked up the word rich in the Greek. You'll be made rich in every way. I looked it up and it means you'll have lots of money and lots of stuff. That's what that means. We don't want to over-spiritualize it. Of course, there are things way more important than money and stuff. But why would these people be made rich in every way? So that they can help others. So that they can be generous. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Have you ever wanted to help somebody, but you just couldn't? Have you ever wanted to go on a missions trip, but you just couldn't swing it? You ever wanted to go serve in a particular way, but you knew you had to do this other thing because financially it just wasn't going to work? You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the Apostle Paul was going to collect the offering, going to bring it to Jerusalem. People would get to eat and they would thank God because of the generosity of other people who had extra. Reason number three, so the church can be strong and do the Great Commission. God reasons to do tithes and offerings. A tithe, the tenth, offerings are above and beyond whatever your heart puts on you. The reasons for these, number one, to honor God as your provider. Number two, to live a submitted and blessed financial life. And number three, so the church can be strong and do the Great Commission. A church full of tithers is strong. A church full of tippers is weak. It's just that simple. We don't put a little money jar by the coffee. Have you noticed that? Why is that? Because if people give as the Lord instructs them, as the Spirit directs, we don't need to put a tip jar by the coffee. We're going to have plenty to buy coffee for everybody. That's how that works. So we don't do that. Instead of these weird little fundraising things, we just, let's pray and let's give what God shows us to give. It's way simpler. It's more about just connecting ourselves with God and it meets all of our needs. Church full of tithers is strong. A church full of tippers is weak. And here's the deal with God's economy. God's economy is that his people would give to the church, that the people would be blessed and better off than they otherwise would be, and that the church would be strong and be able to do the Great Commission. So everybody wins. God's economy is that he will bless what you have, and you'll be able to do more with it more with less than if you kept everything and the fruit fell off the vine. Have you ever felt like I'm doing everything and it all just falls apart for no reason and all, everything just, ah? Well, check your relationship with God as it, as it goes in with money because God will bless or the fruit will fall off the vine. We want to be part of God's economy, which means the giver is blessed and the church is strong. Now, part of this, Good Hope Church, we... We give 10% of the undesignated tithes and offerings, we've done this from day one, to our missions fund. So however much comes in, we just take 10% off the top, put it in the missions fund. We did that way back when we had no money. We're losing money every month. We took 10%, put it in the missions fund, lost more money. 
because we knew if we were part of God's economy, it's, it's going to work. I tithe to the Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God. It's part of my responsibility. And I tell you what, it works out real good. God is real good. He helps us out. So the reason we give is to honor God as our provider, to live a submitted and blessed financial life, and so that the church can be strong and do the Great Commission. I got two goals for our closing prayer time. Goal number one is to help you live a submitted financial life to God. Then your financial life will get better. And reason number two is to set some captives free. There are people who you've lived your whole life bound and concerned and connected with money in an unhealthy way. You've been in this place where every day you think about money. Every day you look at how you stack up with other people, what you have that other people don't, what you don't have that other people do. Your identity is connected with how much money you make, how you stack up with others, where you're at. It has to do with money. And I want you to be set free from that because that is a very unpleasant place to be. And of course, in our culture, people spend their whole lives stuck there and it's a disaster. The next verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, after the, boy, these bad people who cause all these problems who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, the very next verse is this, 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is talking about financial contentment. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing with us. The only thing we can bring is other people. We can't bring our truck. We can't bring our house. We can't bring our shoes. We can only bring people. So this is talking about a financial contentment. Did you know that you can have both godliness and contentment? It's a lie that you have to choose between the two. That you have to choose, okay, I'm going with God, but I know that means I'm going to have a life where I feel like I'm in lack all the time. I'm going to choose God, but I know I'm going to be giving up things that I really, really would like. But for Jesus, I'll be discontent. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Where your financial life is submitted to Christ and you have that under you, And you have Jesus above you. And you're loving the Lord. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So bow your heads. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we know you are good. We know when we submit our lives to you that our lives get better. Again, we have to be disciplined. We have to be strong. We have to overcome. So it's not always easier, but it's always better. And Lord, as we submit the various parts of our lives to you, Lord, as we submit our whole life to you, not just little parts or just our afterlife to you, but our life here today, as we submit ourselves to you, Lord, we submit our financial lives to you as well. Lord, guide us day by day. Lord, help us to pray over our financial decisions and be submitted to you. Help steer us free from the mistakes that we could make, but bring us into opportunity. Help us to see. And Father, for those in here right now who have been bound 
by their unhealthy emotional relationship with money, that have been bound by fear of not having enough, who have been bound by an insecurity or an identity issue based on money. But I pray that that would be broken right now in Jesus' name. And that money would not have that power over them. Finances and things would not have that power over them. But that that would be broken in Jesus' name. And that, Lord, we could all have godliness with contentment. Because contentment is not a number. It's a heart condition. So, Lord, help us to have contentment. Knowing whatever our circumstance is, that you are good and you are with us and you will see us through. And Father, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Let your joy, let your peace, and let your love fall upon us and let us share your goodness with others. In Jesus' name, amen.